I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter. We welcome you tonight. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you want to watch the show through streaming video or have family or friends anywhere in the world, please tell them to go to the website at www.bornagainmormon.com and click on the TV shows and click and wait. It says watch the show and you can watch it from anywhere in the world. We have had an amazing week. Uh, events that are in some ways incomprehensible. And uh, I'm going to report some of those to you tonight. On Sunday night, I was invited on a local uh, radio television show by somebody who considers himself a preeminent LDS apologist. And um, the first thing that came out of his mouth was not about born-again Mormon, not about this show, not about the people who are coming to the Lord, uh, but about the uh, fallibility and weakness of the Bible. It started off in a terrible foot, and I was in my flesh, and I didn't respond uh, the best way I could, but uh, I've, I've since repented, humbled myself before the Lord, realized that uh, it could have been handled better, but uh, in the end, it was just not a good thing. So that started off the week really well. And then we had a heart in the church last night in Logan, Utah, which in the end turned out to be a great event. We had about 150 people there, and, it, and there was a great dialogue. But right in the middle of it, we have somebody who called themselves a Presbyterian minister stand up and proclaim that you don't even need Jesus to get to heaven. And at that point, we kind of went into uh, uh, mayhem. And uh, it was so we've had a lot of uh, adversarial powers going on this week with the things that are going on. I would highly suggest if you're in the Logan area, that you do not go to the First Presbyterian Church on Center Street. You avoid it with everything that you can. And uh, until they uh, turn it around, it's no place for anybody to go. Uh, I'm going to say something really radical here. Better to go to the Mormon Church than the First Presbyterian Church in Logan. If you don't like that, then you can call me on it. Uh, let's go on. Our in-house guests, my favorite family. I'm their biggest fan. Jamie, Laura, James, Teddy, and Alex, who's not here, he was at heart in the uh, church last night. We're glad they're here in studio. We love them to death. Um, some shout-outs to Kyle B., Doreen A., Lucy and Corey, um, Grayson, Lanani, and, uh, and their kids, Melissa and Ivy, Dennis G., who's in the hospital, a quick recovery, our brother, and then Hank. Last night, it was Hank and his wife, Brenda, who set up the heart in the church in Logan. And afterwards, Hank and I had the opportunity to sit down at his house in this beautiful room that he has. And we talked. Hank was not saved. 
and we talked about the Lord. I'd met Hank before. It's been a long process. And uh, my brother decided that he wanted to accept the Lord, and we knelt down, and he offered his life uh, to him. And it was a great uh, cap-off of a, a very rough week. So praise God, Hank. Welcome you, my brother, into the body of Christ, and uh, look forward to seeing you again here and in the hereafter. Um, church recommendations. I had lunch with a Provo Baptist um, pastor who we've recommended on our site. His name is Neil, and i got to tell you something. If you want to learn the Bible, and you want to learn how to understand the Bible exegetically, and truly understand what the Lord is, you have to sit into a, uh, in a teaching with Pastor Neil of Provo Baptist. It's right there on Center Street, if I'm not mistaken. You can go to our website, and you can find out where they're located. But I highly recommend that uh, church. Andy's Christian Film Review, uh, he gave us two this week. The only one I wrote down, unfortunately, was Amazing Grace. And he highly recommends that. And you can go on the site and read those if you're interested. Heart on the Sea, contact Jeremy, or it's J-E-R-M underscore R-O-B, germ underscore Rob at yahoo.com. If you're interested in going um, on a fishing trip in August, deep sea fishing for two and a half days with us, it's going to be a great time. We'd love to have fellowship with you there. Everybody's invited, unless they're from the First Presbyterian Church in Logan. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. You're invited to, don't get mad. All right, truth seekers, if you uh, want to meet with people who are seeking to understand Mormonism better with a like-minded group, uh, you can go to truthseekers at truthseeker333.com and get more information. Also, uh, Sandy Ridge Community Church is starting up a series on the Trinity with Pastor um, Travis Mitchell. I highly recommend that. You can go to our website. We'll give you details on how to go there. And also remember, Christ Evangelical Church in Orem uh, is meeting at uh, UVSC in the Grand Ballroom. And if you want another fantastic church in that area, uh, go see Scott McKinney and the church that they've got going there. It's a great place for families to learn the Word of God. With that, let's go to a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I ask you that you be with our listeners, our audience, our crew, our staff, everybody who's involved, and uh, particularly those who are looking for truth. Help the lost, those people who have come out of Mormonism but don't know where to go. Let uh, them come to you and let us help. In Jesus' name, amen. In the writings of Joseph Smith, which Dean C. Jesse of BYU edited and put in a book called The Papers of Joseph Smith, Joseph said that he had an intimate acquaintance with the Methodist religion and he became somewhat partial to them. Tonight we're going to show how much of an influence 19th century evangelical Protestantism actually had on Joseph Smith and particularly how these persuasive evangelical methods and its resultant cultures found their way into the text of the Book of Mormon. Again, again, you have to ask yourself, are the things that they're talking about tonight on this show, did they come from golden plates that were put into a book between 600 years BC and 400 years after, or did they come from the mind or source of something else? If these things are borrowed from other sources, which I think we're going to prove again these are, you have to say that the Book of Mormon's origins are fraudulent and therefore do not give it the, the allegiance a divine book uh, re requires. I want to thank my good friend Grant Palmer who wrote an insider's book, uh, Insider's View of Mormon Origins, uh, for writing that book. It's helped me greatly as I've researched this particular subject. 
I highly recommend that book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins by Grant Palmer. Okay, first some personal admissions uh, which might help um, understand my perspective, right or wrong. I'm not a big fan of present-day evangelical Christian culture, especially when it comes to public displays of outlandish emotional outbursts and uh, coming forward altar calls. I'm not saying I'm against them. I'm just not a real huge fan, and I'll explain why. I don't like revolving door confessionals or uh, culturally-led manifestations that are supposed to be evidence of a, of a great spiritual conviction. Very little of it has to do with what is taught in the Bible. I'm very much a, a Bible literalist, and I like what's taught here to be portrayed out in the religions. Now, I'm not dogmatic about it. I think there's liberty in Christ. But you can see how, where things came from, and if they don't originate from here, then they've originated from man, and they're no, they're no better than anybody else's man-made ideas. There is no biblical mandate for the present day or the past altar call. There's none. There is a come to Jesus mandate, but there's none that you come forward before the group and do what they do. There's no, there's no a public confession as it's done with the altar call. There's no slapping people on the forehead to heal them. Uh, in a public place. There's um, no uh, biblical uh, stance for speaking in tongues and interpreting in tongues publicly to prove that you are saved. And uh, there's nothing that has to do with rolling in the aisles or weeping uncontrollably or laughing uncontrollably uh, in uh, church. These things are not part of the biblical text. I'm not saying that people can't experience religious um, things or have a, a, a Jesus experience in those elements. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that these outbursts are not biblically mandated. All right. Now, scholars aren't completely sure at what point these things came in to practice, but uh, I know a few people who gave them legs, and that's what I'm going to talk about briefly. Um, I'm not going to talk about the th theological implications of these actions in church. I'm just going to talk about how they are manifested culturally and then how they found their way into the Book of Mormon. Um, but let me, let me tell you that this man named Charles Finney back in the 1700s established this, this thing that happened and he did it by, talking, uh, by bringing forth these various um, cultural expressions. Now, generally speaking, Charles Finney, he was born 14 years, not generally speaking, he was born 14 years before Joseph Smith. And he uh, introduced emotionalism in the church. I believe Charles Finney is result, what he introduced is the result of what would Jesus do, which has taken the place in the church over what has Jesus done. There's a big difference between what has Jesus done and what would Jesus do. What, would Jesus, uh, what has Jesus done is the first thing that must come to you before you can have the what would Jesus do. But churches in, around uh, the 18, uh, 1850s on, and 1820s on, they started uh, really trying to become perfectionistic. And they started to try to, what would Jesus do? And, and not forgetting what Jesus has done for them. Charles Finney introduced something called the anxious bench. And the anxious bench was a precursor to the altar call that we have today. And people would come forward at this front row bench and they would anxiously wait to, to have this experience, which was common with the revivals of Joseph Smith's area. And there's some keys to those, to those experiences and how they were manifested. And generally speaking, the, there's four things that happened, okay? People would gather together in a group in religious excitement and anticipation for something to occur. 
And then secondly, they would recognize personally the existence of sin in their life and they would fall to the ground. This was very big during uh, 19th century revival periods, this falling to the ground, okay? We would then see that they would cry out to be forgiven and be free from the bondage of sin. Again, I see nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great thing. I watched that happen last night with, with Hank. And then there would be an expected emotional response when they realized that their sins had been forgiven. Now, I want you to understand that these, this model became popularized by Charles Finney and by the evangelical uh, Christians of that time. And it's a cultural expression. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you are saved. It does not say these other cultural expectations have to be followed. The thief on the cross did not have time to go forward. The thief on the cross did not have time to clap his hands or fall on the ground writhing or uh, any of the things. He didn't speak in tongues to show that he was saved. The thief on the cross professed a faith in Jesus and that was sufficient for salvation. Um, so now let's talk about how these things come into the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith took these popular 19th century practical practices, which were popularized by Finney and Abel Thornton and Lorenzo Dow and Ray Potter and Eliezer Sherman and Alfred Bennett, and he thematically included them in the texts of the Book of Mormon as if they were a normative practices four to five hundred years before Jesus even came to this earth. Can you see the anachronistic difficulty of including 19th century revivalistic themes in a book that's supposed to be ancient? It's just another evidence of the book being fraudulent. Now let me give you, now let me give you some examples. A Methodist camp meeting was held in Palmyra, New York, Joseph Smith's home turf, on June 7, 1826. Now, 1826, Joseph Smith did not have the plates yet, according to his records. He was waiting still to get them, and they had this revival in Palmyra, where he lived. On June 7th of 1826, Joseph claimed a knowledge of the golden plates, but again, he hadn't received them. Okay, now listen. 10,000 people attended this revival, all right? Most of them attended in family units. They pitched their tents with the doors facing a stand that the preachers built, so that was higher than the tent so that they could see out over the people. Around that area where the revival was held, a circle was drawn around it, and the people considered everything within that circle as being sacred. They even considered it somewhat of a temple. All right, this was part of the revival speech. One preacher named Benjamin Paddock wrote a report of the revival that was published in the Methodist magazine in August of 1826. So just two months later, a report of this revival came out, and we have... Uh, copies of that report. And in the report, it was said that a large crowd listened to the farewell speech of a man named Bishop McKendry. He was a Methodist leader who had presided over the area for years and had grown too old to serve any longer. So you have the setting of what occurs here, all right? Speaking of the departed leader, Bishop McHenry, listening to the, listen to the description of this revivalistic event. The people had such reverence for this sainted man that all were melted, this is a quote, and awed in his presence. Palmer, quoting the Methodist Magazine article, writes, quote, In his emaciated and feeble condition, he spoke of his love for the people and then delivered a powerful message that covered the whole process of personal salvation. Tremendous unity prevailed among the crowd and nearly every unconverted person on the ground committed oneself to Christ. 
At the close of the meeting, blessings and newly appointed preachers were made. All right. Now let's turn to the Book of Mormon and examine an account where a fictional king named Benjamin gives his farewell address to the people. It says, quote, in the Book of Mormon, the people gathered themselves together throughout the land that they might go up to the temple and hear the last words which their beloved King Benjamin would speak unto them. They pitched their tents round about, every man according to his family, every man having his tent with the door thereof towards the temple. The multitude being so great that King Benjamin caused a tower to be erected. And then, this is a parenthetical reference, King Benjamin says from the platform, quote, I am about to go down into my grave. I can no longer be your teacher, for even at this time my whole frame does tremble exceedingly while attempting to speak to you. Like Bishop McKendry, King Benjamin expressed his love for the people and delivers a powerful sermon then on salvation. And, and the LDS loved this, this sermon that the, this King Benjamin supposedly preached on salvation that's found in the Book of Mormon. The people's response was so overwhelming that the Book of Mormon reads that, quote, not one soul except it were little children, but who had entered into the covenant and taken upon them the name of Christ. At the meeting's end in the Book of Mormon, they appoint priests to go out and teach the people. Is this a coincidence? Maybe. I don't think so. I think that the Palmyra revival, Joseph Smith experienced it. The Book of Mormon had not been written, or at least it hadn't been written in its formal form. And he took that event and he put it right in there in the context of what was going on. You want more? Let's go on. One of the traditional methods of preaching, especially at revivals, and especially by Methodist ministers in Joseph Smith's younger days, was to blend descriptive phrases that sounded like they came from the Bible, but they didn't. And it was designed to take a filthy soul and lead them, shake them to the very depths of their being to come to know the awful state of sin within them and heal them from this disastrous event that would tear them apart by the evil one. Now that all sounds like it's, gosh, that's from the Bible, but it wasn't. It's this rhetoric that these preachers used to rile up the people who are listening and get them to think, my gosh, I'm going to burn in hell. And they would come forward and they would do the, the anxious bench and, or they would fall to the ground. This was all started by Finney and these other guys. Well, we find these same things in the Book of Mormon. All through the Book of Mormon, we find these things. And what do we see? We see people, they, they come to a gathering. It happens on four or five different occasions. They recognize that they are sinners. And what do they do in the Book of Mormon? They fall to the ground. And then they confess their sins. And then they have a marvelous manifestation of their sin being forgiven. That is the revivalistic pattern. I'm not saying it's not genuine in people's lives. Hear me clearly. I'm not saying that people aren't saved that way today. I'm just saying that that practice in the Book of Mormon couldn't have occurred the way it was happening uh, in um, the 18th, uh, 1800s. Now, the themes of the revivals of the, 1800, of the 18th century was sin and guilt, repentance and grace, fear and trembling. For whatever reasons, preachers of the Great Awakening and thereafter developed this sort of quasi-biblical speech, and it's pretty much limited to that day, and yet we can still see trails of it through some very uh, uh, demonstrative preachers, okay? Uh, what's really interesting is these very 19th century terms are found throughout the Book of Mormon too, okay? Now listen, listen to this. Prior to the publishing of the Book of Mormon, a preacher named Lorenzo Dow is quoted as using these terms in Joseph Smith's day. 
Awake the mind, mists of darkness, prepare to die, everlasting mercy. What must I do? Cry for mercy, hardened heart, to sing my dear Redeemer's praise. The pardoning of God, break these chains, be and unprepared to meet God. Another local pastor, Alfred Bennett, said, The pains of hell, O blessed Jesus, unspeakably happy, overwhelmed with joy, slumbering consciousness, awful terrors, clouds of darkness, filled with the love, racked with pain. Many of these phrases are in the Book of Mormon, these exact phrases that these revivalistic preachers use. From the pulpit, Abel Thornton cried, Life is a state of probation, endless woe, sunk deep in my heart, hardness of heart. Cry unto the Lord for mercy. A great change in your heart. Again, all through the Book of Mormon, this rhetoric. Um, Eliezer Sherman touted, Awful pains of death, forever miserable, unto tears, exquisite happiness. These, if you know the Book of Mormon, you'll know that these writings are directly included in that book. Grant Palmer notes that while 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Nephi are books based on uh, a lot of information taken straight out of the Bible, and we're going to get to how the Bible is included in the Book of Mormon uh, later. Jacob, Enos, Messiah, and Alma appear to have been composed from a lot of material straight from Joseph Smith's own life. He concludes, quote, Interwoven among the modified Bible passages of the Book of Mormon are similar examples of literally hundreds of popular phrases from 19th century frontier preaching. See if you hear the similarities as I read these from Alma in the Book of Mormon, chapter 5. Awaken them out of a deep sleep, mists of darkness, encircled by the bands and death and chains of hell. A mighty change in your hearts to sing the song of redeeming love, the arms of mercy extended toward them, and setting your heart upon the vain things of the world from Jacob. Wicked heart, wounded soul, the welfare of your souls, pierced with deep wounds, feast upon his love, awake from the slumber of death, pains of hell, come unto Christ. All these rhetorical devices used throughout the Book of Mormon. Wrestle in prayer, as the, uh, Enos talks about that, and uh, sunk deep into my heart. And then you can go into King Benjamin, his sermon, which was all about salvation. What does King Benjamin say? He's singing the praises of a just God, everlasting punishment. Sink from the presence from the Lord. Oh, your awful state. Oh, this happy state, this state of misery, this carnal state. Oh, have mercy. Wrought, uh, wrought a mighty change upon our hearts. On and on and on. And these are only examples and not the best examples because I didn't have time this week to correlate between the two. What I'm trying to point out, like we have with all the Book of Mormon, shows this year is that these things were taken from sources that were not in the golden plates and if they were then we have to say the book does not deserve um, our allegiance now also just to let you know it wasn't just the words but there and the falling on the ground but they clapped their hands in the Book of Mormon I mean I just I just don't see that occurring in an, a, a, an ancient civilization I don't see a revival like that occurring maybe I'm jaded and wrong but this is something to include in your repertoire of if the Book of Mormon is true or if it was borrowed from a variety of other places. Do you want more? If you want more, go to our website and you can look up the show notes under this show and you can click them on. It's a Word document. It will come up as a PDF. You can download them and it will give you a whole list of other things that show the four phases that are uh, present in the Book of Mormon um, all through of the people coming to a gathering, the people being harrowed up in their sins, King Lamoni, King Lamoni's son, falling to the ground, 
King Lamoni did, and so did the people of Alma, so did the people in uh, many of the other places in the Book of Mormon, and then confessing their sin, and then feeling this redeeming joy of love and the chains of death and hell being broken from them in the Book of Mormon. Go to the notes at www.bornagainmormon.com. As we conclude this, this short message, uh, ask yourself one thing. If you could know the Book of Mormon is a work of fiction, would you want to know it? That's really uh, an important question for you to ask yourself. If you don't want to know it, then you might as well turn the channel and just go on believing. But if it's important to you to know if this book is true, then you need to investigate further and continue to go and try to find out. But I would also say that you have to have this relationship with the Lord. You have to realize what Jesus has done for you. What Jesus has done before what Jesus would do. When you realize what he's done for you, you'll have the power and ability to do his will. Prior to that, you're just doing works to try to stay alive. Last night at this uh, event that I spoke at, I had some LDS, young men LDS stand up and say, you know, I think that you had sin in your life since you were a young child and didn't know how to overcome that sin and that affected your perspective of Mormonism. And uh, I told him I, I unquestionably have been a sinner my entire life. The thing was is Mormonism could not get me to stop sinning. It could not get me to control uh, my passions for violence or anger or, or, or uh, lust or whatever it was. But when I came to understand what Jesus did for me, then I had the power to uh, follow his will. And I was released from those chains and from the pains and, of death and hell. And that's the thing which our show is trying to get you to understand. It's not what would Jesus do. It's not see, choose the right. It's choose the right Jesus. And when you choose the right Jesus, you're going to have the ability to overcome this world and have joy that you've never thought of before. So we're going to go to our phone lines. We're going to Don uh, on line one. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Don? Yes. You're on the air, brother. Sean? Yes. I listen to your program all the time, and I really enjoy, enjoy it. But, nice. you know, there's, there's some things that just really confuse me. Oh, when I read the Book of Mormon, you know, and I read about the three witnesses and the 13 witnesses. We're getting to the witnesses, but go ahead. I saw those golden plates not believing it. And wasn't it Oliver Cowdery that on his, on his deathbed said that uh, he saw those golden plates and he, would, he could not deny it? Don, when we get to the Book of Mormon and the witnesses, it's going to be great because uh, everything you've just said is what LDS typically believe, that they saw and handled the plates. But we're going to examine the witnesses' testimony, and we'll cover that when I get to it. But, you know, Sean, too, when you, st when you start to think about it, what about all the pioneers who gave up so much to trek out here to the West, the ones that lost their lives along the way and, and, and gave up so much for what they believed in? And why, why would President Hinckley go to such great lengths to promote the church? He's such a wonderful man, and he worked so hard as yeah, his I counselors, the, the 12, the, the 70. The, and when I listen to the conference and I hear all these wonderful men, it just, it, it's inspiring to me. And I have a hard time living the church because it's hard for me to uh, live the word of wisdom. I like to have a glass of wine, and I like to have a cup of coffee once in a while. And I did go through the temple. 
and I was honest with my bishop, which I, I finally gave up my uh, my great. temple recommend. I have a very hard time wearing the garments. They were very difficult for me to wear. Why? It was for my nephew, whom they took his temple recommend away. But you know, Sean, I still can't help feeling that it's true. Well, you know what, Don? In me, I just feel it's true. Let me answer. And I can't. Let me say. Let me say one more thing. But why would why would President Hinckley, who is such a wonderful, wonderful man, go to such great lengths to promote the church? Okay. And I mean, at his but, age, and he's still going. And, okay, you made that. You made that point. I I have to be able to talk here. I'm always accused of talking over people. But I gotta con, I gotta control this somewhat, Don. Uh, there's many, many wonderful men who do many, many wonderful things for their many, many wonderful institutions. Gordon B. Hinckley isn't the only good man on the face of this earth. I mean, I think the Dalai Lama, I think Gandhi, I think well, I know, all... I there are many good men. Yeah, yeah, but none of, but doesn't make them right or true. I mean, Gordon B. Hinckley, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, essentially had his hand in the LDS trough since he was very young. I mean, he's been, a, uh, he's been employed by the church forever. Who wouldn't want to rise to the level of a prophet and continue to, to propagate the idea of that everything in the church is true? Well, let me get back to the golden plates again. Wait, you're running all over. Let me, let's, let's go on with the pioneers now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you say, why would they go and cross the plains? Well, they believed. Thousands gave their lives for what they believed in. Thousands church. gave their lives. Lives. Well, well, you why know, would have they done that if they didn't truly believe it was true? Why would the Muslims give their lives? Why would they walk into a, 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 a place and blow themselves up if they didn't believe it was true? They do believe it's true. Belief is stronger than the facts, Don. The facts mean nothing. Belief will always override facts in people who want to believe. And so you had a bunch of people who were, uh, they wanted to have the true church. They wanted to see something that was different than the, uh, than the uh, revivals of the time. Joseph Smith came up with a great book that kind of taught the, the, re, the restored church, primitivist religion. And they joined with him and he was a charismatic guy. And we have Brigham Young, who's a great leader. And boy, it's the work ethic and it's the American way. And they're going out to this new frontier and they're dying left and right. And they have this whole utopia going. A lot of people will sacrifice greatly for utopian ideals, but it doesn't make it right. Well, but then, Sean, again, too, look at the great things the church does. Look at the humanitarian things they do. Uh, I, I go, I, even though I don't go to church anymore, I still, you know, I, I go down to the uh, welfare square and I help make jams and honeys and what have you for the wonderful things they do, you know, they, the things they supply throughout the world for relief efforts, for Okay, now you've, now you've, now you've made that point, Don. Don, you made that for the homeless and to Don, feed the poor. Don, Don, you made that point. I understand your point, and the audience understands your point. But you have to look at that. Uh, you have to look at it relative to the rest of the world. I mean, the Shriners do a lot of good. How many eyeglasses do they give out? And they, are, they, they don't care about it. I mean, there's a lot of uh, very good organizations that do a lot of really good things that have no connection to Jesus and salvation whatsoever. So that again, and then you have to say, what's the fallout of what the LDS Church has done. Have you ever looked at the schisms of the LDS Church and how many breakoffs there have been from this? Have you ever looked at polygamy and the results of that? Have you ever looked at the today, the statistics that show what Latter-day Saints are going through with Prozac use and pornography use and all these things that come when you are tied to a, a legalistic system? You're preaching you know, these good things that they do, but what about the dark side of it? Is there one? And yes, there is, and we're gonna cover that too. Well, so Don, I understand that you, you're looking at it, but I think you're looking at it from a humanistic term. Well, Jesus you know, could have come down and established... Again, the only way you can say it, you know, is to each his own, you know. And no, that's not true. Do the way you feel. Don, me, that's I, not... I don't go to church anymore, but I still feel that it's true. I well, cannot the feeling, believe The it. feeling is just... 
you know, you, you, you're buying into a lot of culture, you're buying into a, a lot of the good things you see, Don, and those feelings are just not reliable. You got to say, what does the Bible teach me? And then is the LDS Church in line with that? Well, I've read the Bible too, but it's so complicated I can't understand a lot of it. As a you need to be born again. Mormon. You need to be born again, and that's just, the whole thing. I, you know, I read it, and I just can't comprehend it. I, I you need spiritualized. I still relate back to those golden plates and the witnesses and what they saw. Yeah. This is a great call because this is the very reason why we do what we do. Because if you're serious, Don, and you really are in this state, this is the very reason we do what we do. Because I get emails from people like you, and I'm, I'm being nice, I, I like you, and you're trapped. And it makes me sick to think that you have feelings that this institution is true when it is in conflict with the Word of God. That is just a disaster. And I, I'm sorry that you sit home, you don't go to any other church, you don't go to that church, and you are just trapped in this culture, and you haven't come to know Jesus, who will take this yoke off you and give you liberty. But you know, Sean, I like to listen to these evangelists on Sunday, too. The Reverend Hagee and, uh, oh, there's a number of them I listen to, and I really enjoy listening to them. And I know they're, they're great and wonderful men, and I know they're, they're good in what they preach. But when it all comes down to it all, I still feel like that the LDS Church is the true church, no matter what. Well, go with that then. There's well, nothing I, I can to say. Listen to you, and I enjoy your program. No, I think the world of you. Nothing I can say, Don. I mean, you you stick by that. I just think that you should go to the Lord. You should try to see yourself. Really examine your heart for what it is. Really examine what you're going to look like when you stand before God. And if you see that sin relative to God Almighty, not an anthropomorphic God, but God Almighty, a consuming fire, and you're standing before Him, you might break in your heart. You might say, wow, maybe I'm not in such good favor with this God uh, as I think. And maybe that will open a door to you seeing that this humanitarian effort called Mormonism is not all that it's cracked up to be. Well, Sean, I'll tell you what, I'll keep listening to you because I think the world of you and I enjoy your program. All right. And uh, I'd like to listen to more, to hear what you have more to say on the Book of Mormon and those witnesses and what goes on there. We'll get to it, brother. Okay. Good talking to you, pal. Nice call. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. He was certainly a jovial fella. I mean, uh, I liked him. I, I just wish I could slap him in the head. Yeah, I'm just kidding. No violence. I'm just kidding. All right. Kiabob, first time caller on line two. Kiabob. Don, what's going on, man? How you doing? Don had a lot to say, huh? Don had a lot to say. Don had a lot to say. I'm going to keep it much shorter. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. A um, couple things. Number one. You're a musty clam, number two. Yes. You fuck. Excellent. Excellent. The musty clam is back. Now, Jamie and Laura thoroughly love me being called the musty clam, and they're laughing here in the audience. We're going to catch you, kebab, and we're going to uh, just love all over you and bring you to the Lord. So uh, I want you to know that you mu I must be touching something in you. There's something in you because you keep watching and feel like you need to call and insult me. But I love you anyway, and you just come on, and I welcome you. I'll sit down with you. We'll pray, and you'll come to know Jesus. And you may still think I'm a musty clam, but you'll change in your attitudes and behaviors. Okay, uh, we are going to Matthew on line three. Matthew, you are in heart of the matter. Matthew, you're on the air. All right, great. You got to turn your TV off, Matthew. I'm, I'm right here. You there, Sean? I'm here. Hey, Sean, I just wanted to tell you that the guy that you just talked to is, you know, I don't want to be insulting to, to Mormons, because there are a lot of, Don has some good points. There are 
lot of good things that the Mormon Church, or at least the Mormons themselves, do. But that guy's just an idiot. I mean, there's. I mean, it's just silly. There's no discourse. No. There's nothing intellectual. He has to insult you and then hang up like a a 14 year old kid. It's, it's silly. But I don't know that he's LDS. I, I mean, so no, I don't either. But I'm yeah. assuming he he has a, has a need to attack you, that, yeah. and he can't be intelligent enough to come up with. You know, there's a lot of things he could say that might. They're better than musty clam. There you go. There you go. Hey, quick question. I, I um, had a couple questions. Uh, I was going to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on uh, what happened in Virginia. Uh, oh, yeah. A couple days, but uh, and, and not, maybe this isn't the right time for that. But anyways, hey, listen, uh, did you ever, uh, you, you served a mission, right? Yes. All my friends, I was the only one in my ward that didn't go, and uh, all, all my friends went. Uh, I'm just curious, have you, have you ever gone back and, and met with some of the people you converted and, and spoke with them and, and kind of told them that you felt that maybe you were maybe you were leading them maybe not on the right path? Have, have, you, you, ever, have you ever talked to them and, and followed up with that? You know, this call reminds me of a call I got in the first show of last year, I think, when someone asked me if I had been baptized and I was a professing Christian and I hadn't been. And I have to tell you, I haven't gone back to those people, and I should. I think that's a really uh, good insight, and I think that uh, I need to contact those people that I help bring into the church. And, uh, and you, I mean, I'm assuming when you baptized them, you, you believed in what you were doing, right? I believed in what I was doing because that's what I knew. Right. But, I, uh, but now I know differently, and I think that you're making a very good point, and I think I need to go back and, uh, and talk to them. And so, uh, people of Harrisburg, look out, I'm coming. Was that in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, you know, I, I, I grew up in the church. My, my mom and dad are temple-going Mormons to this day. In fact, I think if they heard what I was saying to you, they'd be, they'd be pretty offended with me. And uh, anyways, long story short, all my friends, I grew up in a, in a fairly well-to-do neighborhood here in Salt Lake, and all, you know, people didn't come, move, come in and out of the ward. It was a pretty stable place. But all the kids I grew up with, we, you know, Grew up in primary together, and then you know, from the deacons, the teachers, the priests, and then yeah. they all went on their missions. And uh, you know, there was a huge—I I really, I think, hurt my parents badly when I didn't go on a mission. But I wasn't willing to. By that time, I really didn't believe in the church, and uh, I wasn't willing to to go try to talk people into something that I wasn't fully sure of myself. And yeah. uh, but anyways, all my friends went, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd write them while they were gone and whatnot. But uh, you know, there was just such there's immense pressure to go on a mission, and uh, my bishop, my stake president, they all tried to, you know, convince me, even though I told them I wasn't sure, and I didn't think it was right to, to try to convince some people of something that I wasn't even sure of myself, but they all said, well, go and do it anyway, and you'll you'll gain a testimony while you're there. Right. Well, that was kind of a so, disingenuous way to talk to someone, but anyways, I, I was just wondering if, if you had, you know, kept in touch with the people that you you met on your mission and, and what maybe they thought about uh, where you're at now. Yeah, I haven't, but I, I think I'm going to do that now that you've brought that up. And uh, appreciate the call, Matthew. Hey, Sean, I'm going to keep watching because I do, uh, what you're doing is important and uh, I, I do enjoy what you have to say. Take care. Right, bye. God bless. You know, uh, I was going to end the show with talking about um, uh, Virginia, but uh, was it West Virginia or Virginia? Audience? Blacksburg, Virginia. And, um, I just, uh, of course, my heart goes out to them, and like everybody's heart goes out to them, and uh, it's a horrible um, uh, reflection of the fall of man. And um, when I was LDS, I have to tie it into what we talk about here on this show, 
everything was supposed to be a plan and this was this plan of happiness and we come here and we uh, go through t t tests and trials, but uh, that would put God uh, f uh, knowing and uh, going with that um, whole idea and these things being normative. And uh, when I think of the true gospel and how that man has fallen into sin and we're in a sinful state, in a carnal state, until we're regenerated and come to know the Lord. And so we are in the midst of a war, physically and spiritually, and I'm really sorry when I see the fallout from that. Uh, so there are my comments on, on that horrible situation. All right, we're going to Dean, first time caller in uh, Sandy. Dean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, how are you? Good, good. Um, listen, I just, I've got, you earlier, uh, uh, you were talking about people raising their hands and stuff like that, or falling to the ground and stuff. Yeah. And um, aren't there examples in, like, the Old Testament and the New Testament of uh, things like that happening? Yeah, there's, it, it seems that uh, whenever someone has a true interaction with God, there is a falling to the ground. And, uh, you know, Isaiah, he said, I'm a man of, of, of uh, unclean lips. Isaiah's lips were his full ministry. And when he realized what he was before God, he fell to the ground. We know that Joshua, when he entered into uh, Jericho to take it over, and he had the interaction with the uh, Christophany of Jesus, that Joshua fell to the ground. And when he came back up, he said, what am I to do? What do you want me to do? Uh, so the falling to the ground, I'm not saying is not uh, biblical, and I'm not, um, but I'm so just... you just trying to collate the fact that uh, these circumstances were going on during the religious uh, forever that was uh, happening in the 1830s, right? Yeah, I was trying to do that, and, and it was, it's much more prevalent in this revivalistic uh, time than it was through the Bible. We have specific instances, but they weren't as groups going forward and doing this kind of thing, and so that's what was, yeah, that was my point. Yeah, okay. And then, um, uh, you know, like David uh, did that dance out in front of the ark and stuff. Yeah. So there are, there are instances of that. Um, Absolutely. Now, I, I just had this other question. Now, it says if, uh, and I'm going to go back to what Paul said um, in, in the Bible, because I'm, I'm I love the Mormon people um, dearly, you know, and I don't agree with uh, everything that they do um, or all the doctrines. But I'll tell you what, they're beautiful people, and I just really, I love them. I mean, I just have this deep love where I want to, I cry thinking about it. And um, doesn't it say that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, and then um, also, and many of these people profess this, that they believe he was raised from the dead. And just like Paul said, you know, you got to believe that uh, uh, Peter was the first to see him, and then the twelve, then he was seen at 500, and then lastly by Paul himself. And, uh, um, you know, all these things that they believe in. Uh, do you not believe that they, those that believe this, because we know it's a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Lord, yeah. a personal relationship. I have a personal relationship with him. It is independent of any church I was to go to. You know, yeah. I don't need church. I need him. Yeah. And isn't it possible that they are saved through their faith in him? Yeah. You know what? Uh, this is a really a great question. Um, and I'm going to give you my, my perspective on it, and I'm going to include some philosophy here that uh, helped me understand it better. But it is an excellent question. First and foremost, I believe that there are many Latter-day Saints who have uh, an epistemological understanding of Jesus. What that means is that they know He is their Savior. Okay, that's a big word, but epistemologically they know. There's a difference between epistemology and ontology. They don't know ontologically who Jesus is. 
they don't, they don't realize that, uh, I mean, they teach that he, God had relations with Mary and they teach that he had a pre-existent creation by the Father and they have a different Jesus in that sense ontologically, meaning his makeup is different to Mormons. The question so, is... Did you say that, he, uh, that, that a lot of them believe that he was married to Mary? They believe that too. Many of them do. So, well, some of them, but not all of them. Not yeah, everyone many of them. So we have the Mormons believing in a Jesus uh, uh, epistemologically, but we don't have them absolutely knowing him ontologically. The question is, is that enough for salvation? I don't know. But I can say that in that argument, if you just wrap that up, there's, there may be hope. You know, they believe in Jesus, they believe in the atonement, they believe in that. And that's a radical saying. People don't like to hear that. The problem is, is the relationship and the imperative of being born again is not taught in Mormonism. And that was an imperative of Jesus. So for them to have a true epistemological knowledge of him, mean being spiritually reborn and knowing him is very tough in the Mormon church because they haven't been born again generally. I'm not saying specifically, but generally. Does that make sense to you? Um, yeah. Okay, well, Sean, didn't make now, sense to me. It, uh, <laughs> you remember Nicodemus said you have to be born again. And I believe this on a personal level that I would never even seek after him unless he drew me to do it, unless okay. he actually moved in me to do it. I would not have any interest in him whatsoever. I wouldn't pray to him. I wouldn't want to read about him. I wouldn't seek after him. But I definitely wouldn't have any love for any other people. And you're speaking of, of irresistible. They believe this that you must be born again. They believe this. And uh, just one more thing. I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> um, one more thing is that. If I was saved, and I am being saved now, and I will be saved, and uh, Christ covers all sin, yeah. aren't these people saved if they believe in him, and they, they take that? Well, you're, uh, you're speaking in some heavy theological concepts. You're talking about irresistible grace in Reformed theology there, and now you're talking about universalism. So we have a lot of deep... No, 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 just in your belief. I mean, you have to I don't think... It, I think... If, he, if their, their interest is drawing to God, however, they're seeking some different things on, you know, worshiping and uh, some of the other things that they're doing, but they believe in the salvation of Christ. I that they're, they're saved, or the Lord wouldn't, I mean, Dean, they couldn't confess that he's good, right? Dean, oh, sorry, son, go ahead. I purposely titled the book in our ministry, Born Again Mormon, for a reason. Because it absolutely gets to the heart of the matter on the issue. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, or I know he's the Savior, or we have him in the name of our church, or I believe that he was the Son of God. All those things, the devils believe. Okay, that's why I went to born again, because that is what changed me. That's what changes everybody who really becomes a true follower, not just a said follower, but a true follower of Jesus. It has to be that regenerative experience where we are born of the spirit. And that is not taught in Mormonism. So I would have to say Mormonism generally is really in trouble when it comes to their, their people having this salvation experience with God. And I think they're in trouble for that. That's another reason we do what we do. I'd like to say, yeah, I think they're all saved and things, but it just doesn't doesn't work. Okay. Um, now listen. Okay. We now, got. We got to uh, hurry, though, my my friend. Huh? We have to hurry. Okay. okay. I'd love to talk one with. Thing. Um, sometimes now, just like that one man that came on, he said he used to go to LDS uh, church and everything like that. Now you see, he didn't know anything about the Bible at all. And uh, sometimes when I see these people approaching people and they start spitting off these verses and this that and the other thing, and they're doing it to these little sheep that really don't know anything, when they should be taking these doctors and stuff and going to the top of the church and hammering them, because, like, if I come up and start, uh, uh, the shepherd runs over, a shepherd runs over and starts yelling at the sheep, and he just scares them off. 
Yeah. Okay, but if he goes in and corrects another shepherd and says, "Hey, you're you're doing the wrong thing with him," isn't that? I mean, uh, to me, it seems like that you can scare a lot of these sheep because that's they're sheep, and we've got to remember this. And you're placed in a position of a pastor, or uh, uh, in a powerful position as a shepherd, right? And it's your responsibility not to chase the sheep off. And, and I'm trying not to. They don't know doctrine. You have to teach it to them first before. Right. Uh, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm trying. I'm, that's what we. That's what we try to do. It's a tough balance, but that's what our ministry. No, I know it's yeah, tough. tries it's to, do. to do. I know. Hey, I know, and it's very frustrating too. Hey, I understand you, that. You have a lot of great points. I'd love to talk. Just email me, or we can get together sometime. But we got to keep it moving. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later, Sean. Have a good night. Thanks for the call. God bless you. God bless you. Bye bye. All right, we're going to Saul on from Salt Lake City. Saul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Not bad. Good to talk to you, my friend. Good to talk to you. Hey, listen, um, a couple, a few calls ago, you were talking about you had a meeting and a couple of LDS people stood up. Yeah. And said, what did they say? They said a number of things. No, uh, oh, the LDS people? Yeah. Oh, they wanted to know if, if the sin in my life kept me from understanding the truth of Mormonism, and so henceforth I fell away from it because I was so sinful that I, I couldn't comprehend it. Uh, you know what? That was a paraphrase, by the way. <laughs> yes. It, it's all good. It's all good. But here's the deal. They were wrong. Yeah, I think they were wrong, too. Well, here, here's what I think it is, all right? Okay. <laughs> I think that you have quantified your infallible knowledge with infallible pride, it's created an infallible false ego. Yes. Automatically creates an infallible superego to protect yeah. you. And where's the id, my friend? And that has compartmentalized you from understanding that there is a lot of room for many religions. Oh. Number one. Wait, before you go on, can you tell wait, me? Wait, before you go on, can you tell me what those religions are? Let me finish. I was about to, Sean. Okay. I think any book that points anybody towards Jesus Christ, the Savior, okay, and preaches or teaches, see, you preach, and there's a difference. Teaching is understood in the soul. Preaching is understood in the mind and the ego. And that's where you're wrong. It's very clear. And, and, and anybody who actually, you think you're, that you have an audience of puppets. Do there are people listening to you that actually have the ability to think. Here's the deal. Okay, you give me a lot of stuff, Any, but come on, give besides the personal ad hominem attacks, just give me some churches or some religions that are okay with God that are not uh, Christian. Give lay them out for me. Hey, let me preface this. No, don't preface anymore. Give me the religions. Sean. Don't preface anymore. You've prefaced it with a bunch of stuff. You want me to, you want me to continue I want with you an to, intellectual conversation? Or no, I want you to give me, me the names of the I, religions. Give me the names of the religions where there's room for them to be accepted. I don't even know all the religions, Sean. I'm not saying all. I said give me some. Why me, would God the Father only concentrate on passing mercy to the Jews when the Jews denied Christ, Sean? Wow. Okay, so now we're getting to the real heart of the matter here. Give me some more religions that are accepted acceptable to God that are not Christian. I think any book that says... Don't Jesus speak in generalities. Savior, give me a specific. Hey, hey, take the cotton out of your ears and put give, it in your mouth give, and let me finish Give me I'm a saying. specific. Give me a specific. Think anybody who teaches Jesus Christ as a Savior, baptism by immersion, and continual repentance... Well, that's Christianity. ...teaching a good word. Okay. How dare you mock God for what he has done for you in his life by putting down another religion? Wow. When it's very clear 
that that is the number one sin. Hey, you know what, my friend? What's the first teaching in the Bible is, Sean? What is the it's first teaching? Thyself. Apparently you are the, the, the first teaching is what? The first teaching is what? you have quantified your knowledge with pride. Yeah, tell me what the first teaching... Okay. Tell me what the first teaching is. How dare you, Sean? Tell me what the first teaching is. And you know what? What's the first teaching, Sean? I, you They're said it. I didn't me. hear you. I'm asking you to repeat it. Wisdom? Wisdom? Hello? Balls in your court. No, I'm asking you. What is the first thing that, that we're taught in the Bible, you said? Well, the first thing that's taught in pretty much all scriptures around the world, which the Mormons don't even know about all of them, is know thyself. Because if you don't know Look yourself, at, it's impossible okay. to know yourself. See, this is, this is why I had to get you to give me a specific so that I could at least address it. You know, I got all your points about how you feel about me, but let me tell you I'm something. Really know thyself you is... You is really angry, man. No, you, I, I get angry at idiots. You don't look at, have love look in at, your heart. I have to get angry. No, I don't have love in my hearts for idiocy. I have love in my heart for people. <laughs> for people. But listen, look at <laughs> Know thyself <laughs> is a lie. That's a Socratarian lie. What I said and listen to it over until you understand listen, what I said. Listen, I listen over and over. You're the, you're the source of wisdom. Because I go to the Bible and it tells me. That has any... A knowledge of any anything to do with psychotherapy, psychology. Yeah, you're right. I don't. I, mean, I don't have any knowledge of psycho anything well, except you psychos, and you're one of them. Mm -hmm. All right, goodbye. Okay, now let's go on to Mike, first time caller. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Mike, Mike. Whoop whoop. I'm not hanging up. Mike on hold. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, uh, Sean, I was uh, at the meeting last night at Presbyterian Church. Awesome. And I appreciate the, the way you handled a number of things. I uh, had a question that uh, we got shut down a little earlier than I uh, had time to answer. Oh. Um, you mentioned that um, the diversity and so forth in the church and that uh, talked a bit about what was essential. Have you come up with a kind of a concise uh, statement that you share with your LDS friends, uh, I know that you love, that um, what is essential for you to, uh, to share that unity that's talked about in Ephesians 4? Uh, that's a good question. In my opinion, and I could miss some things, if I do, correct me, but I believe that uh, Jesus is God is, is an essential. I think the virgin birth is essential. I think uh, the atonement is essential, saved by grace is essential, and the resurrection is essential. I think the Bible being infallible is an essential uh, edict, but uh, there's a lot of scholars who I think are very good Christians who will argue some of those points. But those first uh, six or seven that I just gave you, I think those are uh, essentials to uh, being a Christian. Well, the reason I ask that is the statement came up about uh, accepting the real Jesus or you know the right Jesus, and I appreciated what you said and thought about it quite a bit in terms of the uh, you know the ontological knowledge and. Um, uh, and it is true, a lot of people that accept Jesus don't, obviously don't fully know him, but right. I'm just wondering the, you know, the essential point of knowing who he is, which you would say at this point then should be that he is, in fact, God. Yeah, yeah. And therefore has the, uh, the ability, the authority to forgive sins. Yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's good. I'll, I'll try to remember that as, uh, as I'm talking with him. And again, I appreciate the way that you handled uh, a number of things there. Thanks, Mike. And there were some good things that came out of that. I'll just let you know, too, that I uh, won't mention any names, but uh, I think there was quite a few good things that came out of that meeting. Oh, praise God.
Thanks so much, Mike. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Listen, I, I usually uh, don't want to make too many apologies, but, man, I've been on one this week. Sorry. I, I've been hit, and I've just gotten angry, and uh, I'm not sorry I got mad at Psycho Man because uh, I just don't agree with his theology, and to me, if it's not correct theology, then it's psychotheology. I think I'll coin that word, psychotheology. It's a new one. It's like twistianity. So, uh, but anyway... But if you are out there still angry at me, I will take you to lunch and sit down with you and talk about all these heresies that you're trying to say that I'm guilty of. But um, I'm sorry I get mad in the discussion forum. That's my, one of my failures. All right, we're going to Jimmy, first-time caller on line three. Jimmy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, Sean, thanks so much for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, for that first call I listened to tonight, um, you know, the gentleman, I think his name was Don, that was talking about... Uh, you know, the church is extremely good, and, and, you know, Gordon B. Hinckley's done all these good things and is a wonderful man. I guess the, where I come from is I've, I've had a background where my family came out of the LDS church, oh. and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've got a lot of good LDS friends, but I am a Christian. I think the one thing that I've found beneficial to stress is, you know, the Bible teaches obviously that there are none that do good, and there's none that seek after God, none that are righteous, yeah. and that, you know, we're going to be judged not by not by our standards next to our friends or by another man, but next to moral perfection. And the only picture of that that we have is Jesus. And so I just wanted to bring that up. And the only other thing I wanted to mention was the one scripture that came to my mind was Jeremiah 17:9 that said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know, who can know it? Yeah. And I think that was something big that just that hit me when he was talking to you about, you know, well, I really feel like it's true. And this was just something that, that, that hit me, you know, that... You know, we know that we can't trust our feelings, and we have the Bible, we have the inspired Word of God, which is fact that we always have to look to for truth. You know, I can't, uh, I can't tell you how grateful I am that I took your call, because you uh, said things that I neglected to think of, and uh, they are really the, the core issue here. Uh, and bringing up the Jeremiah, and our, our works are as rags, and all those things, our righteousness, it's a great summation of the show, and it answers Don very well. I hope he's still listening. So thanks so much, man. Thank you. Okay, take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're down to our last minute. I want to tell you, uh, please make sure you reserve the date. is July 8, 2007 at Sugar House Park, and that's the heart in the park. We made reservations. We did July 8th because on July 7, 7707, there's a whole bunch of marriages going on in this state. So uh, everybody's uh, going with a lucky number. So we changed it to the 8th. Hope you can join us there. Go to our website, www.bornagainmormon.com. If you want to post on our blog, if you have questions, you can email us. Want to see what we stand for, facts, frequently asked questions, anything like that. If you're looking to get our book, uh, Born Again Mormon, you can write us. If you don't have funds, we'll send it to you for free. If you uh, have funds, you can pay $9.99 plus shipping, which is a buck seventy-six, and we'll send the book out to you. We're reprinting it, so it'll be avail avail available to you in May. So God bless you. We'll see you next week on Heart of the Matter.